Hi, this is Sandy Rios, and this is Sandy Rios 24-7. This is the podcast that we, it's been in, in uh, operation since January the 9th, so it's still new, but we are really enjoying it, and we are so grateful, so grateful for your response. And by the way, speaking of response, on Preborn, who is uh, our opening sponsor, they've agreed to, to help us get this thing uh, rolling, uh, the show and you have already seen over 100 babies' lives saved. I think that's amazing. The donations that you are giving help the good work of preborn to save those babies' lives. And you know what? Your impact reaches eternity. And we've only begun because you know why babies need our help. The overturning of Roe versus Wade only made the left more ravenous for the blood of the innocent. And so we need to be even more passionate to save them. Thanks to Preborn Pregnancy Network, we can do that. For just $28, you can introduce at-risk babies to their moms. It's just the cost of a dinner, which saves a baby's life. And once a mom sees that precious life and hears that heartbeat on ultrasound, she is twice as likely to choose to keep that baby. And because of you, she can. Preborn at this point has rescued over 200,000 babies from abortion. And every day, their clinics save 150 babies. You can help. You already have. We just need more of you to do this. Go to preborn.com slash Sandy. That's preborn.com slash Sandy. All right, we're just getting started, and there's some nuts and bolts I need to tell you about. As always, we have a line where you can call and leave a message. You can leave a question, a comment. It's 662-821-2040, 8212040 and just a word about that you know you can't make a speech but if you could prepare a statement your thoughts uh you'll have just a couple of minutes to express them uh, and i think that's enough if you think about it before you call and i know you're not used to doing that but it's 6628212040 if you have something to say to us you can go to sandy at afr.net also sandy at afr.net uh, you can go to any of the social media sites and find our presence there, whether it's Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or Getter or Truth Social or YouTube or Rumble. We're, we are on all of those. And also about listening on a podcast. Those of you that are listening know how to do that. But share with your friends uh, that you can go to Apple or Spotify or Amazon or any of the major platforms. Uh, AFR.net is home base for us. We are a, a production of the American Family Radio Network. AFR.net, or you can go to all the podcast platforms that you are accustomed to using. So uh, that's kind of the nuts and bolts of things today. So uh, we have an incredible guest today, really, really. Uh, It's a story a lot about what happened on January 6th in a different way. You may not realize that the legal profession has really, I think, accelerated their uh, path to to the left uh, through what happened on January the 6th. And many attorneys have been punished or silenced, or lost their jobs uh, because of what they said or did about the election. Our next guest probably gets, you know, badge number one for what he has suffered, and he'll, he'll be with us right after this. So sit back, relax, here we go. From American Family Radio, Sandy Rios. We are not called to be nice. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in D.C. is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. I think the most important thing we need to demonstrate to our children is genuineness. That we actually believe what we say we believe. A longtime Fox News contributor Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. Seek justice. 
Not social justice, but God's justice. What's right and what's wrong. Sending Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. We've got to say this is the line. Life is sacred. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up. Speak up. Say something. Do something. We've got petitions pending before the Supreme Court that identify in chapter and verse the number of times state election officials ignored or violated their state law in order to put Vice President Biden over the finish line. We know there was fraud, traditional fraud, that occurred. We know that dead people voted. But we now know, because we caught it live last time in real time, how the machines contributed to that fraud. And let me, as simply as I can, explain it. You know the old way was to have a bunch of ballots sitting in a box under the floor, and when you needed more, you pulled them out in the dark of night. They put those ballots in a secret folder in the machines, sitting there waiting until they know how many they need. And then the machine, after the close of polls, we now know who's voted, and we know who hasn't. And I can now, in that machine, match those unvoted ballots with an unvoted voter and put them together in the machine. And how do we know that happened last night in real time? You saw when it got to 99% of the vote total and then it stopped. The percentage stopped, but the votes didn't stop. What happened, and you don't see this on Fox or any other stations, but the data shows that the denominator, how many ballots remain to be counted, how else do you figure out the percentage that you have? How many remain to be counted? That number started moving up. That means they were unloading the ballots from that secret folder, matching them, matching them to the unvoted voter, and voila, we have enough votes to barely get over the finish line. We saw it happen in real time last night, and it happened on November 3rd as well. And all we are demanding of Vice President Pence is this afternoon at 1 o'clock, he let the legislatures of the state look into this so we get to the bottom of it and the American people know whether we have control of the direction of our government or not. We no longer live in a self-governing republic if we can't get the answer to this question. This is bigger than President Trump. It is the very essence of our Republican form of government, and it has to be done. And anybody that is not willing to stand up to do it does not deserve to be in the office. It is that simple. All right, Sandy Rios uh, with you. Now, look, that is the voice of attorney John Eastman. He was the attorney to President Donald Trump. That was uh, on the fateful day of January 6th. <clears throat> and, of course, <clears throat> that's the reason why so many people have been arrested. Uh, this was like the heart, the nut of the controversy. And as John stood on that stage next to, Pres- next to President Trump, he laid out the problem. And the crowd cheered because they knew there was a problem. They're from all over the country. They saw things in their own area. And they knew that what maybe the details they didn't know all of, but they knew there was a serious problem with the 20. 20- 20 election. So I've asked John to join us this morning. We're going to give him a better introduction in just a second. But let me just say that um, as a result of that speech that began a domino of events until now, uh, some two years plus later, John is facing the possibility of disbarment in his home state of California. With that, he joins us uh, today. Good morning, John. Thanks for joining us. 
Uh, thank you, Sandy, very much for having me on your show. It's always a pleasure. Now, let me ask you something. Um, did you have any idea at all when you spoke on that stage on January the 6th of uh, 20, 2020 uh, that you were doing something that might, or 2021, you d- were doing something that might be personally so dangerous for you? Did you know you were taking a risk? No. No, no, I didn't. I mean, you know, there were a half a million, roughly somewhere between a quarter million and a half a million people assembled there. It was it was quite an honor to be asked to to speak to that crowd and talk about the kind of things that went wrong with the election that we all saw with our own eyes. Um, but but uh, uh, as I pointed out in the news conference I had last week, uh, we've gotten to the point now where the government decides what you can speak and what you can't. And, uh, you know, it's like, you know, we're the government. We've we've decided what is truth. How dare you question us? This is the mentality that we're confronting now. That's, there's no question about that, John. And let me just, uh, this is an article in the Washington Examiner. I tell people all the time, I will repeat it, this used to be a good na- newspaper, one of the best in D.C., but um, not so anymore. And I'll, t- I'll just give you a, little, a couple of sentences of how they described what John J- did on January the 6th. Conservative attorney John Eastman is facing disbarment in California. He was among the Trump brain trust concocting plans to challenge the 2020 election. Uh, But they also go on to talk about, you know, basically how it was unfounded, uh, accusations, the courts didn't hear it, all of that. You know this, you're familiar with it by by now. But, John, that became a domino of effects in your life. And I want to, before I ask about those dominoes, give you a very, a better introduction. Let me just say that, John, this was a bio that was written by the Federalist Society. It's, uh, we'll, we'll update you in a second. But Dr. John Eastman is the former Henry Salvatore professor of law and community service and former dean at Chapman University's Dale E. Fowler School of Law, where he has been a member of the faculty since 1999, specializing in constitutional law, legal history, and property. He's the founding director of the Center for Constitutional Jurisprudence, which is a public interest law firm affiliated with Claremont Institute that he founded in 1999. He has his Ph.D. in government from the Claremont Graduate School and a J.D. from the University of Chicago Law School and a B.A. in politics and economics from the University of Dallas. He serves as the chairman of the board for the National Organization for Marriage. We could go on and on. He clerked for Justice uh, Justice, uh, Clarence Thomas, and there are a lot more accolades, but almost none of that's true anymore. Is that right, John? Well, it, you, it, 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 the Claremont Institute has, has kept me uh, when, uh, when Chapman University uh, encouraged me to retire. I'll leave it at that. Uh, uh, they put me on full time to continue my academic work. Um, I uh, then founded a, co-founded a law firm called Constitutional Council Group. Uh, so uh, we are still doing all of the work we were doing before without having to grade exams at the end of each semester. So I guess that's a good thing. Yeah. Um, but no, it's, uh, you know, the, the, the effort to shut down anybody that would speak up against what went on uh, is, is pervasive, and it's infected most of the major institutions in our country, certainly the media, but as we're increasingly seeing uh, a collusion between uh, what I call a social media oligopoly and the government itself. The FBI, the CIA, the Department of Homeland Security, how that Department of Health and Human Services, all of these colluding with social media to block viewpoints and messages that the government doesn't approve of. Uh, this is this is about as blatant and flagrant a violation of the First Amendment as one can imagine. Um, but that's where we are. 
And, and more significantly, one of the other reasons we have a First Amendment um, that protects this ability to speak truth is we repudiated uh, the old English common law of seditious libel. And let me explain what that was. If you spoke out against the government in, uh, in old England, uh, you could be charged with sedition or seditious libel. And uh, truth was not a defense because the phrase was, the greater the truth, the greater the libel. In, in other words, if what you were speaking about, uh, out against the government was in fact true, that undermined the government even more. And therefore, it was more important to put you in jail, uh, not less. And so, and, and our First Amendment was designed to prohibit that. I mean, we have a government based on the consent of the governed that relies on the ability of people to speak out against uh, violations of law by the government, violations of the Constitution by the government. And they are attempting to shut that down. We are moving from a consent of the governed body politic to a the governed don't matter body politic. We're going to, we're going to demand obedience from you and not allow you to speak out against it. And this is the danger that we're, we're confronting right now. Everybody needs to wake up to the danger. The interesting thing about you, John, is that you have fought back like consistently. You've been fighting, fighting, fighting very well. I mean, fighting beautifully in pen and paper. You have refuted the accusations one by one. We'll get into that. Uh, but you have really been an example, I think, to everyone. I, you re- Okay, don't blush, because I mean this. You remind me sort of a modern-day uh, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, uh, because, you know, he wouldn't bend and he wouldn't break. He was a great man. And um, I, I just, I think that you have that kind, you're made of that stuff. So um, let's talk about, now, this is a kind of a current story that took me by surprise when I read this. Your contention uh, to the president was, uh, we need to, tell people this, even though you and I have discussed this on the air before. Your contention was that Mike Pence did not have to accept, because there was a division and confusion in the states, he did not have to, in that moment, accept the electors that had been presented to him. Can you uh, help us understand what your point was to normal people sitting out there who are not attorneys? Sure. And and I wrote a memo that's become somewhat famous or infamous, uh, outlining nine different scenarios that could play out on January 6th. In five of those scenarios, Biden wins. You know, the press, when they attack me for my memo and the advice given in the memo, there's no advice given in the memo. It lays out nine different scenarios for discussion. Uh, and they never mention the fact that in five of the scenarios, Biden won. One of the scenarios that had been floated uh, in the public presses uh, in, in the Atlantic magazine way back in September of 2020, they said that uh, the vice president has the authority to determine the validity of electors. We normally don't exercise that authority because there's really no dispute uh, by the time we get to January 6th. Um, But when there is a dispute, we've had several examples in our history where, in fact, the vice president made the ultimate determination. And so some people were saying he just ought to look at this himself and determine that the Trump electors uh, should be counted instead of the Biden electors that had been certified by the state governors. Uh, I thought that that was a step too far, given what we knew. There was uncertainty. There were still cases pending. There were still state legislatures clamoring for the ability to assess the impact of what everybody acknowledges was illegal conduct in the election. But they hadn't been able to do that because their governors refused to call them into special session. So my advice to the vice president and the president was to accede to those requests from the state legislators. More than 100 of them in the swing states had asked for about a week or 10 days to just 
try and sort out what the impact of the illegality was. And if they couldn't determine the impact or recertify the Biden electors, and Biden wins. That's one of the scenarios. But if they could assess the impact and determine definitively that but for the illegal conduct, Trump would have won, then they really should certify the Trump electors to vindicate the will of the people uh, as, as expressed by the lawful parts of the election. Uh, that was the advice. Uh, Vice President Pence declined to take it. He said he had no authority to do anything other than act like a potted plant up there uh, on, on the dais on January 6th. It's a strange pitch he's now making for the office of presidency. I'm, I'm, I'm working, thinking about doing an article called Pence's Potted Plant Pitch for the Presidency. And it demonstrates that he's really not up to taking on leadership when confronted with egregious violations of the Constitution, but rather will just sit silent and get along to go along. Well, since you brought his name up, let me jump to this also, because uh, this is concerning. He has a new book. He has a new organization. And I think everyone knows that he wants to be president. I don't think that's very hard to figure out. So he is in this book. You have written, John, that he is disclosing executive privilege communications that he had with former President Trump. That's kind of, that's first an ethical question. He also falsely claims that you advised him to simply reject the Biden electors and declare Trump reelected. Can you respond to that accusation? Yeah, I didn't. It was a critical point in the Oval Office meeting on January 4th. Um, uh, others, others had suggested it, both, both uh, in private and in public prints, uh, that the vice president had that authority. Uh, I was asked uh, point blank by Vice President Pence in that Oval Office meeting that I think he had that authority. And I said, it's an open question. I happen to think in the circumstances here, it's a weaker argument. But even if you had such authority, it would be foolish to exercise it absent certification of the Trump electors by the state legislators, by the state legislatures. That was, that was my express advice. Um, uh, it was confirmed in a New York Times article in, in September or October of 2021 um, by an anonymous source, quote, close to Vice President Pence, who was familiar with the conversation. And, and that anonymous source then also confirmed that Vice President Pence turned to President Trump and said, did you hear what he said? We should, you know, that it's delay, not me outright rejecting the electors. Um, that, so that, you know, that New York Times gets a lot of things wrong. But that one, they have right. And it was confirmed by, by a source close to Vice President Pence. Now, I understand fully why they wanted to take the position that, and, and his letter of January 6th, very cleverly, creatively worded, some have advised that I could just gavel the president reelected. Well, yeah, and, and then they try and imply that that was me. Some had clearly advised that. That's true. But, that, but he does not state in that letter that I was the one who advised, and he completely ignores in that letter, his dear colleague letter uh, of January 6th, the advice that was actually given. And by the way, not only, not only the New York Times story that confirmed that advice, but my own statement on January 6th, you just heard it. Uh, you played it at the outset of your show. Uh, all we are demanding is a vice president delay the proceedings at the request of the state legislature, legislators, so that they can get to the bottom of this. And then an hour later, when the president spoke, he said exactly the same thing. And so the Pence letter of January 6th 
is misleading because that's not the advice that we were giving him that day. And he knew it, but he, but, but just delay to try and get to the bottom of the illegality and determine whether it affected the outcome of the election sounds rather reasonable. Some people will dispute even that, but it sounds rather reasonable compared to why don't you act like a dictator and declare Trump reelected? So he had to, he had to make it sound like he was being asked to do the most egregious thing uh, instead of the reasonable thing and, and in order to try and cover for himself. This is not the kind of leadership we need in this country. Um, and, you know, the, the founders of our Constitution were very wise. They knew, they knew that in most instances the election would be decided without controversy. But they also knew that there would be times when it was a close election and clouded with controversy. The one thing we know from the debates over the founding and over uh, the, the, the role of the vice president and Congress in the Electoral College, and that language in the original Constitution is then repeated in the 12th Amendment when they make some changes elsewhere to the process. Um, uh, they knew the one thing we know from that founding debates is that they did not want Congress having a role in picking the president or even judging the validity of the electoral votes in picking the president, because that would make the executive, the president, subservient to the legislative branch, the Congress. And it would essentially uh, transport a parliamentary system uh, rather than the separation of power system that we have. And so it may seem odd that our founders would give such a judgment authority to a single official, but it's even odder from their perspective that they would allow the Congress to basically become the certain, the master over the over the nation's chief executive by 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 giving them a role in deciding who the president was going to be, uh, and so that's the system we have. Uh, the founders did not provide anything in the Constitution uh, just as a kind of ministerial thing. They gave judgment to people that had the authority to make judgment when judgment was required. And it's that ability to make a judgment or that duty to make a judgment that Vice President Pence on January 6th simply abrogated, in my view. And uh, uh, now, circumstances, people can disagree whether whether the factual circumstances warrant it or not. But to claim that there is no role for the vice president, as <laughs> the new, the newly amended Electoral Count Act does, is to, is to have Congress usurping powers that the Constitution doesn't give them. And, and that, that will, in the long run, uh, weaken the president uh, uh, to the benefit of the legislative branch and, and take a chunk out of our important separation of powers. John, the one thing you're illustrating again, I just want to say this again, so many people uh, backed into a corner like you have been equivocate uh, they apologize. They split the baby, and you have not. You just, every time you respond, you respond with power and facts. It's pretty astonishing. Uh, and that, yet, of course, I, you're I, still in... Tr- <laughs> what? I, I, take, I, I, take my, uh, I, I take my model to be Thomas Paine. These are the times that try men's souls. Everybody knows that line. What most people don't remember is the next line. Um, the summer soldier and the sunshine patriot will often shrink in the face of a crisis. <laughs> uh, uh, that's what we see. Well, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not one of those people. Uh, I think I, we are facing a crisis, the likes of which our nation has only seen a couple of times in its history. And it requires not sun, sunshine patriots. People will only stand up when it's easy to do so. 
but re- it requires a vigorous patriots. It requires patriots of the caliber of a George Washington and his and his um, band, band, you know, uh, hobbled man, band of men who crossed <laughs> the Delaware on Christmas Eve uh, to launch an attack. It, 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 it's, it's the kind of standing up against the increasingly uh, authoritarian trend in our government um, to push back and say, look, guys, you work for us, not the other way around. You don't get to tell us what to do, what to say, what to think. Our Constitution matters, and we're going to insist on compliance with it. It wasn't long before, after you did that, that uh, the powers that be came after you, John. In fact, uh, an organization called the State United Democracy Center filed a complaint, and I think I remember um, talking to you about this. This is October 2021, and it seemed, uh, you know, like... This is an extreme group, but this is probably not going to go anywhere. And then a, a similar complaint was filed by the 65 Project, and you responded to all of those. Um, but in the process of that, you've had to defend yourself, and you have accrued a huge legal uh, balance. You've had to set up a Give, Send, Me Go, Give, Send, Go page. I want to just commend that to people, Give, Send, Go. How much do you estimate this has cost you so far? Is there such well, a way to do that? Was, yeah, I, and I and I and because because one media account here this past week accused me of making money off of this deal with my legal defense <laughs> fund. So I spent a lot of time over the weekend putting together uh, all of the expenses that we've incurred thus far, all the legal bills, what have you, and it's well in excess of a half a million dollars already and counting. Um, and uh, and that's before we even get into the what's now going to be a full fledged trial before the California Bar Court. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, I've got a, a dozen lawyers working and, uh, you know, because we've had act 14 different actions that I've had to deal with, um, in addition to bar complaints in California and the District of Columbia, but also the Supreme Court of the United States. Um, we've got, uh, 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 you know, the, the, the subpoenas from the January 6th committee. Uh, we had the subpoena given to Verizon for my phone records, but also the phone records of my family my wife, my kids, my daughter-in-law, because she's on the family plan. Um, uh, we had uh, we spent we spent ten months fighting uh, a subpoena that was issued to my former employer, Chapman University, uh, who had unbeno- un- contrary to an agreement I had with them to remove all of my my files when I left. They had retained archival copies, and they were going to turn over ninety-four thousand pages of my communications, many of which were client privileged communications without any privilege review or assessment whatsoever. We filed a suit to block that. We got a temporary restraining order issued. Uh, and uh, and then the judge ordered me to, uh, he ordered Chapman to give me all those files and then had me reviewing them at a pace of 1,500 pages a day. That took oh about four word. months last spring uh, for, for privilege review. And, uh, you know, uh, a lot of the stuff was not privileged, and we produced it to the January 6th committee. But about five, uh, no, about 2,000 documents we asserted privilege over. And uh, uh, most of those, the court upheld our privilege claims, although it did order about, mm, I, I forget, 250 total documents produced. But that, that took that took months. And I had teams of lawyers working in California, as well as the District of Columbia, uh, helping with that privilege review. Uh, it was intense. We had we had three, four, three different rounds of full briefing over documents, very detailed, 
Um, all of that, all of that racked up, uh, 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 all told, several hundred thousand dollars in legal fees. Um, and, and that's just the start. We've got, uh, we had a, a, a subpoena issued by the grand jury down in Fulton County, Georgia. That involved three different actions. They had to, they had, because I was an out of state witness, uh, they had to get a court order from Georgia. That court order then had to be sent to uh, my current home state of New Mexico. And that the court in New Mexico had to then assess the validity of the court order. So we had to brief that. Uh, and then, uh, when the New Mexico court said, oh, no, you gotta go, you gotta go testify, then I had to have counsel, uh, representing me for before the grand jury. Uh, we also had the FBI issue a search warrant and seized my phone as I was coming out of a restaurant. That was, uh, that was about eight months ago. I still don't have the phone back. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and, and, you know, and then, uh, I mean, then, then a, a laughable case that accused me of being a billionaire trying to throw the election. So that was pretty funny. My wife wondered where I was hiding all the assets, if that was true. <laughs> um, but, but these are the kind of things that, that one has to deal with. And every one of them, even the frivolous suit, uh, accusing, it, it named me and, and Sean Hannity and Tucker and Ivanka Trump and, and, uh, uh, Jared Kushner and Fox News. Uh, and even Mark Zuckerberg, guy apparently didn't get the memo on which side of the aisle he was on. Uh, and, and, and even though it was patently frivolous, it still had to be, uh, defended. I still had to have attorneys, uh, brought in to, to file the, uh, opposition, to file an answer, to move to dismiss and all that stuff. So all of these things add up. Um, and there's a wonderful article that, that, uh, Roger Kimball published over the weekend on American greatness. Uh, that that talks about uh, this, you know, in the administrative state, it often is that the process is the punishment. And that's certainly true here, but they're not stopping with the process. They're, of course, seeking to disbar me. Uh, there's been lots of news speculation of, of indictment. The January 6th committee, in fact, referred me for indictment because and this is the, the nature of the charge, that Eastman insisted that there was illegality and fraud in the election, and he continued to insist on it, even after Bill Barr said there was no election illegality and fraud. <laughs> so, so this is my point about we're the government. We've decided what is the truth. And you are. How dare you question us? I'm supposed to just bend my knee because Bill Barr said there was no fraud. Uh, you know, I'm sorry. Bill Barr didn't do the investigations. He didn't have the access to the information I have because it's unbelievable what we now what we knew then. And it's been confirmed over and over and over again. Um, uh, the illegality itself was more than enough, as three justices on the Wisconsin Supreme Court held, that, that when the election is conducted in violation of the election laws of the state, the election is invalid. The Seventh Circuit U.S. Court of Appeals out of Chicago, uh, in addressing whether President Trump had standing to bring an election challenge before that, they said, of course he has standing, because if he prevails, the electors will be invalid, and it will be up to the state legislature to determine what to do. That's, that's exactly what I was talking about all along. So I've got two, two very important courts saying exactly the same thing, and yet the bar complaint against me is based on the fact that uh, no reasonable person would have taken these positions. It's a little hard to make that claim stick when, in fact, justices of of the Wisconsin Supreme Court and very prominent judges on the U.S. Court of Appeals are saying exactly the same thing. 
John, let me uh, let me interrupt you just for a second uh, because we're talking to John Eastman, and he was President Trump's attorney regarding all issues election. He was also involved in Pennsylvania and the dust up there. We can talk about that, but I, I, you've heard his at least part of his story. We're not done yet, but let me just practically tell you that John does need help. He's got a family. He's got girls, a wife, uh, and you know he's been stripped of his lively much of his livelihood. Uh, in addition to that, all of these expenses. And so if you would like to show your support, and I know you would because all of you are so generous. It's just amazing to me. But it's givesendgo.com slash Eastman. That's givesendgo.com slash Eastman. John has just mentioned that the bar in California wants to take away his license, and that needs more discussion. So uh, stay tuned for part two with John Eastman. This is Sandy Rios 24-7 on American Family Radio. All right, Sandy Rios, back with you. Well, that was quite an interview, and that's really just the first part of talking to John Eastman. Uh, He has been through so much, I can't even tell you. Can you imagine just even the trauma of having the FBI seize your phone, go through everything, your family's phone, your, your, your kids, your wife, everyone, nothing's safe and he still hasn't received his phone i think that's amazing bruce don't you and that's your former agency the federal bureau of investigation that did that it really is frightening because um you know you cannot just search a person that's one of the big reasons that we fought the revolutionary war and wanted to break away from britain is they would just do what we call general warrants and it's just like if they decided they didn't like you and wanted to search your home to look for contraband they could do it without a reason and from what I've heard, there has been no crime designated that John Eastman participated in other than advising President Trump, who was his client and who he has every right to advise, his interpretation of what the law was and what Mike Pence was capable of doing or not doing on January 6th regarding the slating of the electors. And you cannot... Uh, we w- will not be able to function as a country if any time you say something that the government doesn't like, they can come and search you, arrest you, ruin your life. You know, I think of Jeff Clark, who I believe was an assistant uh, U- um, attorney in the J- Department of Justice, and he was the lone voice in that office when President Trump was president who believed there was malfeasance in the election, that something wrong had happened in 2020. And he was willing to take the lead on that. And the FBI came to his house. He has to go out on a... They pull him out in the morning in his underwear to stand in front of his neighbors. Uh, And it's it's shocking because he's not a criminal. Jeff Clark, Jeffrey Clark, has an incredible resume. And yet this is what they're doing to these good men. The biggest threat to a society um, is thought police. We cannot get into this um, suppression of people's varying ideas. What, what makes us a great country is we have a diversity of ideas, that we listen to each other, and that we do what's best for people and for the country. And what's being done now is, I don't like invoking Nazi Germany, but I'm telling you, we're heading down that avenue. They started suppressing books. They started... In, uh, imprisoning people for having differing political views. And what's the difference between that and what's going on now? Um, John Eastman gave his client, which he is required to do under the canon of ethics of an attorney, gave him his best advice. You have to understand, 
what he was advising the president on was unplowed territory. You know, how, how are these electors to be handled? And really, all he advised was that we should take a big breath and not rush to certify these electors. He never told anyone not to certify the electors. He said, my advice to you, President Trump is, and, and Vice President Pence, is take a delay. Take 10 days. Let's figure out what happened on this election. Would that have killed us? The, ele- the inauguration wasn't for weeks. We could have taken 10 days. Yes, and he wasn't. Uh, there is precedent for that in American history. John has written about that extensively. There is precedent of things like that happening before. We had, uh, we had disputes, so many huge disputes, and state officials were asking for a delay. And so it wasn't just John Eastman's idea. And so this, this is very serious. All that you said kind of lays it out, Bruce, and helps people to understand why we, we have to stop this. So we have another discussion with him coming up where we talk about that bar complaint out of California. And so I, I hope you'll uh, stay tuned or <laughs> tune in on a different uh, podcast for the next one because you're going to hear John explain that. It, it, it really, this is frightening. This is frightening. In fact, the, the the review that you, the thing that the bar wrote about that, Bruce, I think, I don't know if you use this word dystopian, but it really was like Soviet, I think is what you said, and it's wording. And John's going to discuss that with us on the next uh, iteration of John Eastman. So I hope you enjoyed the show. I want to say uh, we want to thank Preborn again for being our sponsor, and we want to thank you for so generously giving to them. We've only started and we've already saved 100 babies' lives. I think that's pretty amazing, and I'm, I'm grateful to all of you. If you are as passionate about saving these babies' lives as I am, go to preborn.com slash Sandy, preborn.com slash Sandy, and remember to follow us anywhere on social media, all the social media outlets, and you can call us if you have a comment, 662 Four zero. That's six six two eight two one two zero four zero. But for today, we'd like to say goodbye. We'll see you next time.